1: Welcome, everyone, to the Rise of the Young podcast. Today, we are here with Duncan Cock Foster, the co-founder of Nifty Gateway. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Duncan.
2: Thanks, Casey. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. So, I mean, first things first, congratulations on all the success with Nifty, and, and now you guys are a part of Gemini. Um, I, I want to ask you, when did you learn about NFTs as a whole? Because obviously, everyone... Um, knows about them now. It's, the, the market is exploding. And you guys were really pioneers of this whole entire space. So I'd love to hear when you originally heard about NFTs and how you got involved with building an incredible platform.
2: Totally. I mean, I, I first learned about them uh, back in 2017. And, uh, you know, there was actually a little bit of mainstream media coverage of NFTs back then. It was very brief. It was a very small moment. But uh, I was really interested in crypto technology specifically crypto technology that wasn't finance oriented and i thought nfts kind of fit the bill perfectly so i guess what i would say is you know back in 2017 the with crypto kitties the uh the core concepts of an nft got off the ground but a lot of people sort of entered the space and then decided that uh you know it wasn't going to work and so they just left and moved on to other stuff and really, the only difference is my brother and I just stuck around and kept working on NFTs throughout the uh, the bear market and the, the crypto winter.
1: Wow, that, that's <laughs> that's incredible! So, when did you and your brother um, not only initially start it, but like become entrepreneurs and you know start your first venture even before Nifty?
2: Oh man! I mean, we always. It was always our dream to uh, to be entrepreneurs and start a successful business, and that that started from a young age. It was actually when I was a teenager, and uh, the iPhone had just come out, and we were obsessed with Steve Jobs. And so I begged my parents to buy an iPhone. We were we were 13 back then, I think, and uh, they refused <laughs> to do it. And so I had I had no way to acquire an iPhone because I was 13 and no one would hire me. So I started a business selling bread to my neighbors. And uh, it took about a month, but the product was very popular because I would bake the bread fresh for them and then deliver it right to their door. And I had a subscription model, which is always awesome. So they would sign up to to get a weekly bread delivery. And it took me about a month and a half, and I before I earned the money for an iPhone. So it was a it was a huge success. I probably never should have stopped. Once I got the iPhone, I shut it down. But- <laughs> You know, if I, well, if only I kept working on it, it could be a, the biggest bread delivery business in the yeah. U.S. right now. So,
1: <laughs> I, I love it. So, I mean, you and your brother, you guys both, as you said, started Nifty Gateway. Um, when you guys were working through that, as you said, bear market, like, what was it about the NFT space that kept you guys motivated and excited about the future of the industry?
2: Totally. I mean what the the main thing really was the fact that uh yes there was it was kind of a small number of people who were into NFTs but the people who were into NFTs were incredibly into NFTs it was like all they thought about it, it was all they did all day long you know it was like buy trade sell NFTs um, so it was like yes the the total number of people was small but the average passion per per participant was incredibly high and that more than anything is what made me uh bullish on the space long term. I think that's kind of a good signal to look for when you're trying to predict what will be big in the future.
1: Yeah, no absolutely. And you know, you guys really not only became a, a market leader, but in, in my eyes as a consumer, when I first started hearing about NFTs, even just earlier this year, like Nifty Gateway was where I first landed. All the artists that were dropping the most exclusive pieces were going to Nifty. And I know you guys really have a curated roster of talent and artists on the platform was that always the case early on and um how has that changed over time
2: yeah i mean that um we we really did set out when we first started building our nft marketplace like what we noticed about the nft space was there was kind of a lack of uh there's a lack of compelling content i mean nfts are just a creative medium right so like the how how successful nfts are is very dependent on how exciting the content is that people are creating. I mean, you know, movies and video games are obviously huge businesses yep. now, but if no one made any good movies, they wouldn't be huge businesses. And so, <laughs> yeah, so we started off with a, an emphasis on curation because we uh, we kind of thought that that was one of the bigger problems with the NFT space was that there wasn't enough high quality projects to get people interested. I think since we've entered, entered the space, that's really changed. And, the number of high-quality artists, uh, the number of high-quality collectibles projects, just the number of high-quality NFTs overall has uh, blown up since then. And so now our our focus has really expanded, where we're we're really trying to give people access to all different types of NFTs. Um, we're still doing curating, we're still doing the drops that we did, and and working with artists to help them grow as NFT artists and like build their careers. But uh, yeah, I would say accessibility has always been our focus and. Now, really, the goal of Nifty Gateway is to to be a gateway for people to get into all different types of NFTs and not just art NFTs.
1: I love that um, question. How how long were you guys into it um, before Gemini came knocking on your door? To um, I believe it was an acquisition, correct?
2: Yes, yes, it was. Yeah,
1: yes, that's I I'm very aware of. Just that whole, the whole story there, right? Two sets of twins. It's <laughs> quite ironic, and, and I love it. The story, but how? Where were you guys in the process of? the platform when Gemini, Tyler, Cameron came to you and, and were interested in an acquisition?
2: Uh, we were still very early stage. Um, so it was just the two of us. It was, it was just Griffin and I wow. at the time of the acquisition. Yeah. And we were about seven months into the company. Um, wow.
1: So yeah. that's, that is so cool to think of. I mean, were you guys, and you always hear from founders like, hey, you know, we're, we're building a or we're, We'll never sell. Like, what was your initial thought process when, you guys were starting the company because i'm sure you know looking back it just makes perfect sense for a platform like gemini and nifty to to work alongside each other with the infrastructure that they have so like what was your thought process as those conversations were happening because i think a lot of young entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast you always have to ask themselves that question especially in tech right when it comes down to partnerships that can make each product greater um i would I'd love to hear your thought process on that as a founder
2: I, you know, personally, I think the whole never sell thing is a conspiracy invented by VCs. <laughs> um, because like they're, you know, the VCs are the ones who are looking for the home runs. And, you know, maybe the VCs are are most likely they're in a financial situation where like a million dollars, two million dollars doesn't make that much of a difference for them. So they're the ones who have propagated this whole never sell message because they're looking for that hundred million dollar, two hundred million dollar exit but as, as a, as a founder, I think like you, have, you always yeah. have to look out for your best interest and you always, I think it's also really imp- important to keep in mind that, um, you know, life is not a, it's not one single game. It's a series of games. So like selling, yep. if, if you're, I mean, we were 20, 24 at the time, if you're 24 and you sell a company, it's, you know, extremely beneficial to your, to your whole career, you know, versus the. There, there's always downside risk when you're starting a company. Like, it's it's good to like think about. Okay, what am I really trying to do with my life, and what's the what's the bigger picture here? So, yeah, yeah. I, I think like the whole dogma of never sell is uh, misguided. And yeah, it's it's mostly pushed by VCs who are who are already like wealthy enough that they don't care about yeah, they don't care about a small exit. They're they're the ones who really are pushing for the hundred million dollar, two hundred million dollar exit. But for a founder, you should really think about what's best for you. And yeah, I mean, like if you sell one company, that doesn't preclude you from starting a bigger company in the future. In fact, it like will probably help you do that. And I think a lot of the most famous successful entrepreneurs now have had small exits that build up, and and they learn more along the way. And you know, the the whole myth of like you start one company and that's that goes public at ten billion dollars is just that a myth?
1: <laughs> absolutely, no. I, and I absolutely love that feedback. I mean, even for myself, I've just launched a, a tech platform called Media Kits. And you know, we launched in August, but we've been at it for a little over a year now. And just I'm, hearing that from someone like yourself is always great to hear because I think it breaks down the, as you said, conspiracies that you, you might hear on Twitter or just from listening to other people online. So I, I appreciate that.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's always funny to me to hear like the, you know, the 40, 40 to 50-year-old BCs who are like, you know, they're, they're spending half a year on vacation in Italy and they're writing blog posts about how important it is to work 24 seven and like spend every day of your twenties working. And I'm like, who's really benefiting from this guys? anyway?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So I, I'm curious I, I just love the, like the conversation of acquisition and obviously like working alongside of a, another company, like how did the business change? And even you and your brother's operators once you guys got acquired by Gemini, working alongside Tyler, Cameron, and the whole Gemini team?
2: Oh, the whole thing um, absolutely leveled up immeasurably. Um, you know, we were just, we were two 24-year-olds who really didn't know much about programming. We didn't know much about how to run a business, how to, how to recruit people, anything like that. And we were plugged into Gemini, which was around a 300-person company back then, was significantly larger than us, And, uh, you know, right off the bat, we got, we, you know, the people helping us were all of a sudden, you know, so much more knowledgeable, I think every, every startup to some degree, like you really have to, especially in a new technology area like crypto, a lot of your success depends on your ability to recruit very knowledgeable people and a a lot of tech products, you know, like an NFT exchange, a, a crypto exchange, if you don't have adequate technology you're not going to make it as a product, you know? And like, it's, so like you either, either you have to raise enough money and and be compelling enough to pitch people to come work for your company, which can be hard to do if you're a young founder just starting out, or you can, you know, that's really what the acquisition route helped us with. Most of all, I think is the expertise and the talent. It really just gave us a ton of leverage. And then also like, you know, the reputation and distribution of the Winklevoss twins is enormous. So Kent, that also helped enormously
1: yeah absolutely and <laughs> how ironic though is the two sets of twins that when i heard that story i was like come on this this has to be made up this is great um and, and then i saw recently actually you were with uh my buddy justin averson is that right in new york uh
2: justin Aversano. yeah averson?
1: excuse me, yes Aversano. yes
2: yeah yeah he's
1: a, he's a good friend of mine great guy yeah, yeah he's awesome he was actually the person that really got me into nfc's earlier this year in like february march he came to my, my apartment here and marina del rey and we just started jamming about it It's just been super cool to see someone like him and how he's not only become so successful in the space but such a a voice and you know that, that brings me to my next question of like where do you see nfts going from this point forward right like you have some anomalies like justin that are creating such important collections of art through his photography and stories but then you have on the flip side you know, every other day you have different projects launching with maybe not the best teams or the best end goal. And there's such a divide, in my opinion, between like the, the great NFT collections that will last throughout time and people that are just coming in here to, you know, maybe make some quick money and, and then move on with their life. Like as someone that has been in the space for so long and a believer and has built and sold a company in the space, like where do you think the current market is and where do you see it going?
2: right so I mean it, it's funny you say that because the current market is far more developed than it was when I started um and uh you know picture a market with all the bad stuff but none of the good stuff and that's that's been the nft space for for quite a long time where like you know the the average quality of nFT projects in my opinion has actually gone up significantly in the past three years and it's really a medium it's a medium with a lot of depth which I think is underappreciated like uh there's it's really like fascinating the things that you can do within with an nft i mean it's a it it's i think we're actually still in the early days of exploring what we can do um yeah i think that yeah the nft market is it's far more mature than i've ever seen it before you know there there's a lot of times where like the, the early days of the nft market were really defined by like uh existential doubt and when i say existential doubt i mean like people participating didn't know if the nft would be if the nfts would like exist or anyone would be talking about them in five to ten years so so <laughs> like that 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 was like a cloud over the whole space and when we first when when we saw people spending like fifty thousand dollars on an nft we kind of like we kind of lost our shit because you know that's a car that's that's like a it's a lot of money um, yeah you know the funny thing is like that purchase turned out to be an incredible purchase and. And it was like quite visionary but at the time it was yeah i mean they're, they're like existential doubt is the right word because like back then nobody knew if if what they were buying would even be you know recognized as like if anyone would even remember it existed in five years um so yeah the nft space is in a much better yeah. place than it is now that it, it's in a much better place than it was a few years ago uh which i think is i think is totally. like most newcomers will come in and they'll say like wow i can't believe how immature the nft space is but yeah, my my perspective is very much the opposite. Where I'm like, wow, I can't believe how much it matured so quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you know, I'd love to ask you. Like, just you guys have seen around the corner to you know, not only to build the marketplace, but like NFTs. There's so many use cases, right? And we see this all the time across different verticals of music, of entertainment, of just obviously privacy and transparency. But where do you think the biggest opportunity is right now? Where the industry could catch up to it right whether that comes down to displaying nfts or the the actual um use case like what do you think is the next big movement in the nft space in the next couple of years moving forward
2: oh boy i mean it's always really difficult to say and uh you know frankly i've been horrible at at predicting (laughs) this and if i think if i was better able to predict it you know maybe i wouldn't have my day job because i'd be retired off my NFT trading money. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's quite literally the multi, yeah. multi-million dollar question. So well, let me know no. when you figure it out, Casey. Uh, I think, well, do. you know, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of promising areas. Um, you know, gaming is really promising. NFTs with any kind of utility are really promising. Um, you know, a, a lot of like, it, NFTs is sort of like a, giving you an access pass, either to physical or digital content we're really seeing that develop a lot so yeah i mean i think uh really there's like infinite possibilities and i think this technology has so much uh depth that you know it's kind of like predicting what the use cases of the internet will be in in the 90s there's there's some obvious yeah yeah, there's some obvious things but there's a lot of stuff that's really hard to predict i mean like imagine predicting airbnb in the 90s it's tough yeah so
1: (laughs) totally that makes sense i I do want to Uh, change it up here a little bit. I know, obviously, you, based on um, your Twitter, you have a CryptoPunk in your profile picture. When did you buy your first CryptoPunk?
2: Well, I bought my first and only CryptoPunk in January 2020. Um, Okay, wow. I wish I'd bought more.
1: (laughs) What What did you pay for it, if you don't mind me asking, back in January 2020?
2: I paid a little over one ETH wow 1.1 like one, 1. 1, 1. 1.2 yeah and ETH was only ETH was like 200 dollars back then so it yeah it was one of the best investments i've ever made um
1: <laughs> that's yeah that's incredible just to see like the the momentum not only that project has had but the the level of respect across the industry is so cool and you know it makes you think about how other projects have not only been able to build their own project on that same scale but to think about the impact it has culturally right um When you think about your day-to-day and not only at Nifty, but how you view the world, like what would be your biggest piece of advice to your younger self when you were starting Nifty for all the young entrepreneurs listening today?
2: Uh, I mean, besides buy more crypto folks, you know, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I think, uh, I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give is like, you, you really do have to be prepared for all sorts of, of ups and downs. And, uh, the best thing that you can do is figure out a way to like keep executing throughout all those ups and downs. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like ridiculous to talk about now. But as I said, my first like two, two and a half years in the NFT industry was, it was basically every conversation I had, I would explain to people what an NFT was and they would laugh and, talk about how ridiculous of a concept it was and uh you know every night we would go home and we would like it was a legitimate thought of like wow well well, is anyone actually going to use this technology like ever i mean this is you can just like download an image file this is this whole thing just like silly and ridiculous um and like look at you know look at how much that's changed uh so i think you know I, i saw a lot of people who like faced with that faced with that doubt um gave up and like moved on to other industries. And I think if they'd stuck with it and and kept building, then they would be, you know, way further ahead in their careers right now and much more professionally successful. So I, yeah, I think you, you should expect like a lot of doubt. You should expect to deal with situations that you never thought you had to deal with, you know, negative, negative press, like people talking shit about you, negativity, that's all to be expected. You know, that's all part of the, part of the journey. So don't get depressed about it you know don't let it prevent you from uh, from working you know you just gotta you gotta calibrate and expect the fact that it's going to be like difficult and stressful
1: I-, I love that How has it been working with your brother and, and i ask that because i mean I, i'm a brother of three i'm the youngest of three and uh, we don't have any type of working relationships and, and i always find it so cool to think that you know launching a company with my brother would be so fun but also you know you have that level of trust and respect throughout the years but what's been that relationship with you and your brother since the launch of nifty and how has that process been for you guys
2: yeah i think it is nice to work with your with your brother on something because uh you do have that built-in relationship obviously you know each other really well that that goes a long way normally with co-founders you have to work for a long time to develop trust and uh you know co-founder relationships breaking down is a a huge cause of startup failure and re- honestly one of the more difficult things to navigate uh so yeah i mean i think uh in in my case it it was really beneficial to to work with griffin um you know so I think that there is a reason why you see so many founder or so many brother led businesses and brother led companies. It is kind of funny though. You can also see the, the same dynamic and almost like switch over. And you also see a lot of instances where it's brothers kind of- are like, you know, rivals and, and they're solely driven by like beating their brother and like they don't even talk anymore, you know? So, so yeah. thankfully we have the former, and not the latter type of relationship, but I think in my case, yeah, it's been a, it's been enormous. And, you know, I I really doubt that Nifty would have been successful if if my co-founder uh, had been someone else.
1: Uh, I love that, and I know you guys said like when launching Nifty, you guys weren't the most technical people. Like you, and I remember you said it was both just you and your brother Griffin launching it. So who was the person that was developing the platform early on?
2: Oh well, I mean, yeah, we weren't the most technical people, but we were still technical enough. So. I I yeah. did the uh, the backend coding and he did the front end coding, so that that was actually dream team right there. Yeah, dream <laughs> team. Yeah, no, and that's that's actually great because uh, now I really have a deep knowledge of like blockchain. I have a deep knowledge of how our system works. I'm not day to day coding anymore, but uh, you know it gives me a much better insight into the product, into what we're capable of doing. Um, so you know I think being a technical founder was was really beneficial for me and for us.
1: Yeah. And even when I think about the dynamic of that relationship, like I'd love for you to take us back to um, just like early days with your brother. Like, was it something you guys strive for to start a company together early on or what was that childhood formation and bond like with your brother?
2: No, I wouldn't say that we strive to, to start a company together early on. I would say that after, a after college, we both kind of decided what it was, it was what we wanted to do. Um, so Griffin was actually yeah. working on another, a different startup, and that's where he learned how to to code front ends. And then uh, I got really into NFTs, and I convinced him to to join the NFT movement because, yeah. <laughs> so I, I saw I saw the potential in NFTs before he did. If he tries to tell you, where if he were- tries to tell you otherwise, he's lying.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, where I know you talked about it briefly at the beginning, but what got you excited about NFTs? And where was that community back then? Because I mean, obviously as everyone sees now it's just Twitter is the place to be, to, to, to be in the news about NFTs. Where were you getting that information and, and connecting with people in the space?
2: Yeah, that, I mean, the community back then was on Twitter and it was on discord. Um, and uh, it, so the, the location really hasn't changed. I think what most people, again, what most people miss is like, yeah, the, the number of people who are into NFTs was very small. And frankly, the number of people who are into crypto at all was very small back then. But uh, the people who were into it were super, super into it. And so th- that that was really overwhelmingly the feeling I had back then where, you know, I'd see people talking about like, oh, I'm, I'm leaving NFTs. Like the industry is far too early. And then I would log on to Discord and like, you know, people would be so excited over some new release or they'd be obsessed over like a new NFT project even back then. And that was really I was that was kind of my sense. I was like, oh, I think if more people logged into this Discord and more people like saw how passionate uh, the community, the NFT community is, like they would be bigger believers in in NFTs. And, uh, I, you know, I think in retrospect, I was right. It just took a few years. So this is, this is actually, I mean, mm-hmm. I was kind of just following, uh, I think Paul Graham has an essay where he says, uh, the best way to come up with a startup idea is to live in the future, as he calls it. So find the things that yep. like a small number of technically capable people are doing on their nights and weekends and that they're really passionate about. Um, And like NFTs just fit that description really well. So that was, yeah, that was really the framework and mental model I was using. So I guess it worked. Paul Graham was right.
1: Yeah. Speaking of Paul Graham and um, just mentors, do you have any specific mentors that helped you throughout your journey of launching Nifty and throughout that process of building that company?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, there were, there were a few different people that I, I met along the way who were like helpful at different stages. I mean, Adam Draper and, and Brayden from Boost VC are definitely come to mind. They're the ones who invested in Nifty first. And, uh, you know, frankly, we wouldn't be where we are without them. Uh, so that was like, that was enormously helpful. Um, obviously the Winklevoss twins have been fantastic mentors over the years. And uh, they're, they're extremely knowledgeable, extremely sh- smart and have great judgment. So, you know, also shout out to them uh yeah, totally yeah i would say those are and, those and are speaking really of
1: that ones. too i love that and, and speaking of just tyler and cameron now, i had the pleasure i think yeah, last year right around this time i interviewed tyler on my podcast and that's actually funny enough one of my biggest podcast interviews because he was he was like predicting the future of bitcoin talking about just crypto as a whole and people loved it speaking on that community aspect what has been the biggest lesson you've learned from working alongside Cameron and Tyler, because obviously like their track record is not only incredible, but they've, as I said before, have been able to see around corners <laughs> throughout their career. Um, and now with you guys working so close to them, I'm sure you have some great insight um, from a working relationship, but also just how you view the world.
2: Totally. I mean, in my opinion, Cameron and Tyler are, are kind of the epitome of a, a steady hand. Uh, they, they don't like, they don't let themselves, they don't let like fear or doubt, like talk themselves out of good ideas. If you know what I mean, it's like, they'll really like, they, they see things with a clear pair of eyes. Um, and that's, that's, what I think what allowed them to see, to, to spot so many trends before they were big. I mean, social media, Bitcoin, and also NFTs, they were like years ahead on all three of those topics. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, I honestly think it comes from their relaxed, focused uh, demeanor where they're not too stressed, they're not too worried. A lot of people are like, especially in early stage environments, you see this all the time where, you know, people are like just afraid to have their own convictions and, you know, they they talk themselves out of good ideas just by like overthinking it. And the wake of us twins, I think are, are just really good at, uh, you know, like seeing things clearly. So I think that's definitely, and, you know, like I, I think a big part of seeing things clearly is, uh, you know, continuing to believe in your thesis throughout all the ups and downs, I would say that's kind of like their biggest strength. Um, like, can you imagine, can you imagine buying $10 million worth of Bitcoin in, in 2013? It's
1: just, you know, it's just, <laughs> just insane. Um, yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> and, and just speaking on that, a um, couple more questions before we wrap up here, Duncan. Um, You know, if, if you weren't to have started Nifty, what do you think you'd be doing right now? Oh, that's a great question.
2: I almost became a journalist actually, so I'd probably be a writer, a okay. journalist. Um, I don't know how exactly that would play out. Maybe I'd be a. <laughs> I'd probably have a Substack and I'd be, you know, fighting to get subscribers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my god, that's great. Uh, I think that's important too. Like early chat like aspirations, like being a, a journalist was that was one for you. You're saying no i
2: i was really into uh writing in college um and I, i've always loved to write and i i keep meaning to do more of it honestly so and i just kind of enjoy the lifestyle of like my, almost my ideal day is like wake up early like spend a little time writing and then spend the rest of the day reading or like consuming content and uh that's kind of the approach i take to everything so like I, that's actually kind of the approach i take to startups as well where I try and spend as much time as I can learning about the the history of successful companies, you know, like reading all the startup biographies, the acquired podcast is an excellent resource. And then, uh, yeah, based on that, I try and like think about how to apply the lessons of, of history to the, to the situation I'm in. So I, I think, uh, yeah, if I wasn't a, if I wasn't an entrepreneur, I would probably be doing that, but I would just be reading, I don't know, like some, intellectual debate debate of the day or like <laughs> politics news or something like that, which honestly, yeah. as I, as I talk about it, you know, spending time on politics sounds way worse than, than, uh, spending time on <laughs> NFTs.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, last question before we wrap up here, Duncan, just thinking about the future of Nifty gateway, Gemini, what are you most excited about on a day to day and looking into the future at what you guys are building at Nifty?
2: I'm just I'm, the team is amazing that's that's what I'm most excited about. Uh, we really have a talented group working at Nifty now um, and uh they're i mean we just launched a big website redesign it's It's really amazing to see like you know people who are are like really talented at their craft so programmers and and uh people who work with artists, both of them yeah it's it's really great to see them execute at a high level and now my job is basically more or less just like helping them execute and then doing some like sales stuff and uh, kind of being the face of the company. Uh, so I think, yeah. yeah, like seeing, seeing like people, I mean, they're, they're like craftsmen. in, in my opinion, craftsmen and craftswomen the, the engineers at Nifty. So seeing them like work and create awesome things is, is really satisfying.
1: Totally. Well, Duncan, before we wrap up here, where is the best place for everyone listening to follow you, to stay in touch with you, as well as learn more about Nifty and uh, just follow the journey?
2: Totally, I'm on I'm on Twitter DC Cock Foster, uh, and then uh, yeah, NiftyGateway.com is the best way to learn about Nifty.
1: Perfect. Well, Duncan, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure everyone listening, if you haven't already followed Duncan, make sure you do. And thank you again for tuning in.
2: Thanks, Casey. Much appreciated.
1: Perfect. Awesome. We got it. This was fun. Let me one cool. second. Let me just save this.
0: Yeah, How, do you do podcast? Sorry, what did you say, Casey?